I'm thankful for children's ministry workers, aren't you? Yep. We, uh, we actually were down uh, in Nashville this past week for a children's ministry conference. I was mostly the driver and the security guard, uh, but, uh, but it was great to be there, great to get some new ideas, great to, to be fired up in terms of our focus on children, making disciples of children. It's hard to think of anything more important than that, is it? So uh, it was great to be there and great to be a part of that. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, balcony it is good to be in the house of the Lord today. Balcony people wave back. I like that. Let's try that main floor. Good morning, church. Good morning, balcony. Oh, man, you guys are good. So good to be here with you. I'd love for you to open your Bibles, if you have one with you, to Psalm 107. I meant to get the page number uh, for you for the Pew Bible. Somebody can maybe shout it out. Here's where it is in my Bible. I don't know if that's helpful. Uh, if you were to open your Bible to the middle and then go left, 50 pages uh, maybe that will take you somewhere. I have no idea. But we're going to be looking at Psalm 107. We're going to take a one-week break uh, from our walk through the book of Acts uh, in order to study this psalm of thanksgiving. There are many psalms in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that not only express thanksgiving, but that teach us how and why to give thanks, uh, which I think kind of probably implies that God's people are not very good at this. Um, and, and so in, in the providence and the wisdom of God, the scriptures are, are sort of littered with these little educational psalms. This, if you look up Psalm 107 in a commentary, it'll tell you that it is a thanksgiving wisdom psalm, uh, which is an interesting category, meaning it doesn't just help you give thanks, it tells you why you should uh, and why it is wise. And so I thought that would be helpful for, for us to look at. Uh, we have an awful lot to be thankful for in this place. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And, uh, and yet, one of the great paradoxes, I think, of human nature and human life in general is that oftentimes the more you have to be thankful for, uh, the, the less you remember to actually give thanks to God. Uh, there often isn't a direct correlation between how much you've been blessed and how often you give thanks. And sometimes uh, we come out of a difficult season and we're so focused on rebuilding and recovering we're so eager to move past the trauma of the bad experience that we actually resist the call to stop and give thanks. We just want to move on. We just want to forget. Someone said to me just a, a little while ago that COVID is like a bad dream that, that's fading. Uh, they almost, every time people remind, oh, you remember when in COVID we did this? They're like, oh, yeah. It's like a bad dream they're trying very hard to forget ever happened. Uh, and I, I get that. When we go through a bad experience, we come through on the other side, very often we just want to forget as possible and move on. But according to this psalm, that's not wise. It's important for us to stop. It's important for us to look back. And it's important for us to give thanks. Now, in terms of the immediate circumstances uh, for this particular psalm, Psalm 107 is uh, paired it's understood as a counterpart to Psalm 106. So if you found one, Psalm 107 in your Bible, if you just look back to the previous Psalm, Psalm 106, 47, verse 47, says this, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. So Psalm 106 was a prayer that was written from inside the experience of the Babylonian exile. 
the people of God lifted up their voices. They cried out to God. They asked for rescue, and God heard them. He he came, he rescued them, he restored them, and he returned them to the land that they had lost a lifetime ago. And now, in Psalm 107, the psalmist is encouraging the people to stop, to remember that, and to give the thanks that they had promised to give. So that's why these psalms are side by side in your Bible, even though it, it appears they were written nearly a lifetime apart. In Psalm 106, you've got the request. In the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah, you've got the answer. And then here in Psalm 107, you've got the response. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. It's good to do that. It's good to stop, look back, think hard, and give thanks. It's good to do that, and it's wise to do that. The psalmist says that in the very last verse of the psalm. He says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So Psalm 107 is really a Thanksgiving sandwich. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe that kind of imagery is going to get you thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. Um, But it is a Thanksgiving sandwich in the poetic sense, in the classic A-B-B-A structure that marks a lot of the Psalms and that marks a lot of Hebrew poetry in general. So at the top, A-B-B-A means the top and the bottom are the same, and they're directing your attention to the middle, right? Because a sandwich is all about the meat. You give me a sandwich with two pieces of white bread jam together, and we're not going to be friends. Uh, There needs to be some meat in there. And so that's how this is put together. In In the top, you have an encouragement to give thanks. At the bottom, you have the wisdom of giving thanks. And in the middle, you have the reason why you should give thanks. And that's the focus. This psalm is really all about the why of thanksgiving. And so this morning, we'll follow that pattern. We'll read the psalm, and then we'll reflect on the two reasons why we ought to give thanks to the Lord. So hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. And we'll read all the way through this marvelous psalm. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Don't just think it. Don't just feel it. Speak it. That was extra. All right. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. 
Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell. They establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned a moment ago, the structure of this psalm is directing our attention inward, right? We've got the call to thanksgiving at the top. We've got the wisdom of thanksgiving at the bottom, and together they're directing our attention to the in-between parts, And the in-between parts are setting forth the why of thanksgiving. There are two main grounds, two main reasons why we should give thanks to the Lord. The first reason the psalmist gives is this. We should give thanks to the Lord because the Lord redeems us out of all our troubles. The psalm tells four stories uh, that collectively represent and express the sorts of troubles from which God's people have been rescued. Alexander Kirkpatrick says here, the scenes are at once fact and figure. Fact meaning, I'm sure these are things that actually happened. But they're figure in the sense that they they paint a representative story. So the scenes are at once fact and figure. Scenes from life yet intended to represent Israel's experience. So this is like a collage. One big picture that's painted with four little pictures. And each of the four little pictures, you can spot them because they all begin with the word some. 
You can see the word some there at the beginning of verse 4, verse 10, verse 17, and verse 23. Those give you your four pictures. These are the various sorts of troubles that God has proven himself able to rescue people out of. So let's take a look at them. And as we do that, perhaps you can be thinking about which of these depictions, which of these pictures best represents the sort of trouble from which the Lord has rescued you. That's the point of the psalm. All right, the first picture begins in verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. The Tyndale Old Testament commentary has great little headings for each of these four pictures. They give this one the title, Wanderers Retrieved. Isn't that good? God knows how to find and rescue the wanderers. I like that. God knows that sometimes people get lost. Sometimes they they go off into the world looking for something, and they wander into trouble, and they can't get out. They end up in the dark, away from God, dying of thirst. But if such people come to their senses, and if they call out to God, then God hears them, he comes for them, and he delivers them, and he leads them in a straight path to a safe place. Isn't that good news? Moms and dads, do any of you have children that have wandered away from the faith? We use that language, don't we? we it's optimistic language. We don't want to say, you know, our children have rejected God. So we say, rather, our, our children are wandering. They're, they're looking for something. You don't have to put up your hand, but any moms and dads, any grandparents have children or grandchildren who are wandering, looking for something. But of course, as often happens, they get lost, they grow weary, they fall into darkness and shadow. All the wells in the desert away from the garden of God are dry. And it's heartbreaking to watch children go from one dry well to another, trying to find something that doesn't exist. But the good news is they're never too far gone for God to reach them. We often think they're too far gone for us. Are there any parents in the room who feel like, you know, Pastor, my children have just, and they're not just wandering. They're lost, Pastor. They're gone. They're, they're into things you wouldn't even believe if I told you. They've, they've been sucking up sand from wells you, you probably don't even know exist. Pastor, every time I talk to them, every time I... I try to call them, it feels like I'm just shouting into a canyon. It may be too far gone for you to reach them, but they're never too far God for God to reach them. God's arm is long enough to reach into the dark. And what this psalm is saying is if they will just fire up one prayer, then from out of the dark they will see a light coming. He will find them, and he will lead them home. As long as there is breath enough in their lungs for one prayer, there is hope. God knows how to find and retrieve the wanderer, praise the Lord. The Lord knows how to rescue the wanderer, and then thanks be to God. This is the second picture. The Lord knows how to set the prisoner free. Look at verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So some people aren't just lost, 
they've become imprisoned. They rebelled against the word of God. They thought they were wiser than Holy Scripture. They spurned the counsel of the Most High. They did it their way, and now they're stuck. They are sitting in the dark, in the shadow of death, prisoners in a dungeon of their own making. I'm not capable of reading this little story, this little vignette, without thinking of a scene from Pilgrim's Progress, which I'm sure is a shock to no one here. But if you know the book, then you can probably guess the scene I'm I'm thinking of. There's a scene where Krishna is walking along. He's walking along with his friend there, hopeful. And uh, and they're tired because even though they've been told many times not to leave the path, they've been warned, you know, there's nothing good for you outside the path. You must stay on the path. Oh, they've heard it a thousand times. But the trick is the path is hard, and it almost always seems to run uphill. By the way, did anybody tell you that when you came to Jesus? We, always, we sometimes don't do new Christians any favors when we say, oh, you know, come to Jesus and he'll take all your troubles away. That is not true. That's not true in the Bible. That's not true in our experiences. It's not true in Pilgrim's Progress. The road from the city of destruction to the celestial city pretty much exclusively runs uphill, doesn't it? And so as Krishna's going along and he's getting tired, he sees what he's sure is is a very reasonable shortcut. His road seems to go up, 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 and over there. And this road here seems to go down, down, down through green pastures and connects over there. And he thinks, this. he makes an executive decision. And he says, you know what? I am going to take this shortcut. I'm going to go through Bypass Meadow. But as you can probably guess, the shortcut turned out to be a trap. And by the time he realized that, it was dark. He couldn't find his way back to the road. He fell asleep there in the forest. And a villain came, captured him, and locked him in the dungeon of giant despair. And of course, the author intends that as a metaphor for what can so easily happen in life. The author, John Bunyan, is telling us about a particular danger, the danger of thinking that we are wiser than God. God's word sets out a straight path that if we follow it, leads to life abundant and life eternal. But we always think that we've spotted a shortcut. We think we know an easier way. And so we take that way. We leave the path. And inevitably, we get lost and end up in the dungeon of giant despair. Yeah, that happens, the psalmist says. But the good news is God is really good at busting people out of prison. He's really good at prison breaks. He bakes keys into cakes. He digs holes through walls. He hides people in baskets of laundry. He knows how to set the captives free. Thanks be to God. And he knows how to heal the sick. That's the third picture. Look at verses 17 to 20. The psalmist says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. This is a really interesting one. The Bible is clear, very clear, that not all sickness is related to sin. God, you remember, God rebukes Job's friends for thinking that was the case. They tried to connect. They they looked at Job, and they said, Job, you're suffering You're sick, you're covered in scabs, you've lost your whole family. Therefore, there must be hidden sin in your life that you haven't dealt with. That was, in their mind, all suffering could be be connected to a particular sin. God rebuked them for thinking that way. That's not true. 
And then, of course, Jesus rebuked his disciples for thinking that way in John chapter 9. They saw a man who'd been suffering since the day of his birth, and they thought either this man is a great sinner or his parents, and Jesus rebuked them for thinking that. He said, there are other, there are other options here, boys. So not all sickness, not all suffering can be connected to sin. It's so important that we know that. But some can. Some can. Now, we're not capable of making that link. The Bible tells you not to try. But God, of course, can make that link, and Jesus can make that link, and Jesus does make that link. For example, in Matthew 9, it says, some people brought to him a paralytic. You remember the story. Brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat, lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. You remember, the scribes got all offended at that. Because Jesus was, was making a connection between sin and suffering. I've always wondered, I, I wonder what this man did. Did he get drunk on a roof and fall off the roof and break his legs? Is that, I, I don't know. There was, there was some sin behind his suffering. Jesus sees that connection. He makes that connection. He addresses the underlying issue by forgiving the sin. And then he heals the presenting problem by enabling the man to walk again, all of which constituted an implicit claim to divinity and all of which agitated the scribes and Pharisees. But for our purpose, the point is there, there are some illnesses, there are some sicknesses that are related to particular sins. There are things that we can do that will have consequences in our own bodies. That's the situation here. In this picture, we've got someone who's done something foolish and now they're suffering. Derek Kidner in his commentary says here, in such a context, verse 18, could well call to mind in modern times the drug addict, but only as one example of man's perennial determination to get hurt. It's interesting. For whatever reason, there are people in this world who are bound and determined to hurt themselves. You live in Aurelia, you know that. Walking around this town, sometimes you just look and you think, it's like people in this town are killing themselves slowly. They're doing things that you stop and you say, you, you know this is like taking an ice cream scooper to your brain. Like you, you know this is, this is, you are hurting yourself. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? We know that happens. We know that for a variety of reasons, and there are a variety of reasons, there are people who are working really hard to hurt themselves. They're doing things to themselves, and there are consequences, there are marks there are traces of that in their bodies. They're doing things that are objectively foolish, sinful, harmful, and they're experiencing consequences. But the good news is, the good news is, even when your storm is entirely your fault, even when you are the author of your own calamity, if you just humble yourself and call upon the name of the Lord, he will lift you up. God knows how to solve problems that are of our own making. He knows how to heal self-inflicted wounds. That's what the story is saying. He's, he's the great physician. And like with any good physician, it doesn't matter what stupid thing you may have done to yourself to get yourself into the ER. The point is that you are there now. The point is that you have come to him for healing. God doesn't just heal people who deserve it. By the way, newsflash, none of us deserve it. But God doesn't just heal people who deserve it. God heals all those 
who call out to him in faith. By the way, I don't know if you noticed that. That's one of the major thought lines that runs through this psalm. There's various troubles, right? There's various afflictions, you know, some we make for ourselves, some that fall upon, a variety of troubles, right? But the one thing that all four of these stories have in common is this. Maybe you noticed it. When you read it slow, this is the benefit of reading things out loud. I bet you heard it. In all four stories, this is the one line in common. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Isn't that good? And that takes us to the last of these four pictures. Look at verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea he hushed. This last picture is different than the three that came before. The first three pictures were about people who'd made their own trouble in one way or another. They'd wandered away from that which was safe. They took a shortcut. They did something stupid. But here we have a guy who's just minding his own business. He's just going about his his work, he's a, he's a fisherman, obviously, or he's a tradesman. He's, he's gone out to do business on the sea, trying to make a living for himself and his family. And then all of a sudden, a storm breaks upon him, and he is reeling and staggering like a drunken man, which is an interesting comparison. Because the last guy in the third story was reeling and staggering because he was actually a drunken man. He was the maker of his own storm, Here in this story, we've got a storm that just fell upon someone, came out of nowhere, seemingly, but it puts this man in exactly the same position. So what's the Bible saying? The Bible's saying it doesn't matter at the end of the day how you got there. It doesn't matter where your storm came from. What matters is whether or not you call out to God from the midst of it. If you call out to God, then he will come for you. That's the good news. And of course, it's this last picture, more than even the other three, that clues us into the Holy Spirit's mysterious design here. This psalm originally was intended to function within the community of the Israelites to remind them of the various ways in which God had been merciful to them and to summon them to gratitude and praise. But of course, it also becomes a series of clues pointing the disciples to the identity and mission of Jesus. I wonder if you're beginning to pick up on that. When the disciples went out on the seas, went out on the waters to do business on the Sea of Galilee, you remember a storm fell suddenly and violently upon them. Maybe you remember what they did. They went and cried to Jesus saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And that was very wise because Matthew tells us, then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm and the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this? that even winds and sea obey him? That's a really good question. And of course, the answer is that he is the one who is able to save and rescue people out of any and every calamity. He knows how to save the wanderer, the depressed, the addict, and the overwhelmed. Thanks be to God. Now, as you can probably see for yourself, just from word count and number of verses, 
Those four stories represent the meat and marrow of this psalm. But there's one more reason given here for Thanksgiving that I want to draw your attention to. We should thank the Lord because he knows how to rescue us. He knows how to rescue people from all of life's various troubles and tribulations. And then also, we should thank the Lord because he's able to rebuild, renew, and restore. The psalmist talks about that in verses 33 to 42. God knows how to build up what, for reasons of his own providence, he may have at one point broken down. He's sovereign over it all. Look, look at verses 33 to 38. 33. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. So stop there. The psalmist is saying, God made the desert that trapped the wanderer. Ever thought of that? We talked about children who go wandering off. Why is it that all the wells they try to drink from in the desert away from God are empty? It's God who empties those wells. It's God who fills them with sand. Why? Drive them back to the faith that they once left behind. You know, I, I've said to people many times, I said, you know, the problem is if God's got his hold on you, if God's got his call on your life, you, you can't run from it, right? Didn't you remember the story of Jonah in Sunday school? When you run from God and you think, well, I'm going to go out into the sea and run from God. Well, God's got a storm for that. And you say, well, I'm going I'm to hide from God in the desert. Well, God knows how to throw sand down a well. You're going to die out there unless you make the decision to turn around, call for help, and come home. God is ruler of wind and wave. God is ruler of sand and desert. He makes the desert. God makes the exile that punishes the idolater. He makes the hard times. You seen that? But then the good news is when you turn to him, he knows how to bring you back. He knows how to build you up. That's the second thing we're thanking God for. Look at verses 35 to 38. So God did this, right? He made the deserts. He, he did all that. He was the one who knocked it down in the first place. Verse 35 to 38. He turns a desert now into pools of water, parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell. They establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. You seeing that? Do you know why you should thank the Lord? Because he's got a plan for you on the other side of your calamity. He's got a plan for you. After the desert, after the dungeon, after the sickness, after the storm, whatever your trouble, he knows how to rescue you and he knows how to build you back. That's what the psalmist is saying to this weary group of refugees that have survived the Babylonian exile. He's saying, you prayed. God heard. He came, and now you're here. And I know that all you can see is ruin. All you can feel is loss. Have you ever felt like that on the other side of your troubles? Whether they were troubles of your own making or whether they were troubles that just fell on you like an unexpected storm, when they pass... Have you ever felt like all I can see now is ruin? Have you? I've got a book that was given to me from a group of folks that went from this church down uh, in the States a couple of years ago after those terrible 
uh, hurricanes went through. By the way, is there anyone in the room who was on that trip? We sent a relief effort uh, to, to go and help rebuild a bunch of communities. Yeah, a bunch of communities that were devastated by a hurricane. I'm trying to remember now what, what the name of the hurricane was. Uh, and, and of course, we've been seeing on, on television, haven't we, pictures of the East Coast and just the incredible devastation that was left as a result of the storms that go through. After a storm, when you come out and you walk around, all you can see is is the ruin and cost. It's hard in that moment to see the future, and to believe in the future. All you can feel is the loss. And those moments, right, that's the moment. That's the moment this psalm was written in, you know? Somebody said this morning, I think, I can't remember now if it was from the platform or in the prayer time, all these things jumbled together in my mind. But somebody said, you know, boy, in this country, we sure have a lot to be thankful for. And I actually wonder if that's why it's hard for us to be thankful. Goodness and bounty and plenty is just the air we breathe, right? You ask a goldfish what he likes best about water, and what does he say? I don't even understand the question. But but these... This psalm was not written to people having that trouble. This psalm was written to a little group of refugees huddled in the ruins of a once glorious city, and all they could see was loss. And they're being told that they need to thank the Lord. They're being told. They were like, we got jars here. I put mine in there. I put my thanks, my thankful thing in there. And and these things always make me nervous. You, you know, I'm always nervous. We're going to do the sort of the open mic time and the put your Thanksgiving cards in the basket time. I'm always nervous because I wonder, you know, Canadians are so reserved. We just sit there. And, and if I say, you know, it's, if I say your life depends on you writing a card and putting, I'm taking these cards and these, these names are the only ones that get into heaven. Like if I were to be that stark, it's not true. Don't write that down. But I'm saying if I were to be that stark, still only four cards would be in there at the end, right? Because we're Canadian. And we're like, you know, the queen is watching. I don't know what we're thinking. We just don't do it. We don't speak out loud. We don't engage. And so I'm nervous. I'm like, well, because the end of this service is you doing what the psalm says. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's not enough for you to feel grateful. Who cares, right? Feelings that you don't verbalize aren't good for you, and they don't do anything for the person beside you. And so the Bible says, you know what? You need to verbalize this. But here's the thing. It should be easy for us to do this. The, the, you should have said to the usher, one card. What, are you nuts? Give me 11 cards and I'm still offended. That's how easy it should be for us to do this. But this psalm was written to people who might have in their little heart said, are you kidding me? Give thanks to the Lord? I'm standing in the ruins of my former glory. I was born in exile. This isn't even my, this is my grandmother's ruin. We've been gum on the shoe of the Babylonians and the Persians for an entire lifetime. And you're saying, oh, give thanks to the Lord. You brought us back. You put us there in the first place. Oh, but it's good for you to think about the whole process. It's good for you to remember who God is. Good for you to remember what God has done. Because in remembering those things, you'll have faith in what the Lord is going to do. See that? He's got a plan for you. It may be difficult for you to see it now. 
So what the psalm is saying is, instead of looking forward, for just a minute, he's saying to these folks, instead of looking forward, I want you to look back. I want you to think of where you were. I want you to think of why the exile happened. I want you to think of where you were, and I want, to, I want you to think of what you were thinking. In those 70, did you ever think that you'd be back? Did you ever think that you'd be here? Remember the, the psalm we have from when they're going into Babylon and they're hanging up their harps? They hang up their harps on the river as they cross into Babylon because they're like, joy is gone. We will never be happy again. Now, what's that in your hand? What's that in your hand? Did you pick up a harp? Did you make, did you make harps because we're coming back and we're going to... Did you ever think that you'd be here? And But you are. God did that. Now, you need to stop and think about that. You need to stop what you're doing and think about that. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Listen, I'll tell you this. An awful lot of wisdom comes down to this. Remembering who God is, remembering who you are, and remembering how God has saved you. And in the New Testament era, we would add, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Think about those things. Whoever is wise, let him or her attend to those things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. You know what steadfast love of the Lord means? Some of your old Bibles, if you have the KJV, I think they translate that as mercy. Steadfast love is way better. It's the Hebrew word chesed. It's hard to say chesed, but with a chesed. It literally means love that won't let you go, right? Consider the love of God that just won't let you go. He will, try to, he will put your head under the water, but he won't let you go and he'll drag you up, and he will rebuild you and heal you on the other side. Remember that. Think about that. And then speak about that. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. W.S. Plumer says here, Oh, if all the world would honestly tell of what God has done for them as travelers and exiles, the earth would resound with his praise. So let's do that, church. Let's honestly and boldly speak about what the Lord has done for us as travelers and exiles in this world. Because remembering these things, listen to me, speaking these things aloud will give us faith for the future, resilience in the present, and peace with the past. And it may also, in the providence and kindness of God, it may also be used to bring our friends and loved ones into a right relationship with their creator through the person and work of Christ. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for these reminders of, of why it's good for us to stop and give thanks to the Lord. We do have a lot to be thankful for, Lord. But the truth is, too, if we're going to be honest, there are people in this room who have been through an awful lot over the last couple of years. Lord, I saw a face today that I haven't seen in a long time, and that face belongs to a man who has been through the valley of the shadow of death. And I wonder if how he's receiving this call to thankfulness today. Lord, I hope that he is receiving it in the spirit that the exiles received it. 
As a reminder, to zoom out, see the whole picture, to remember who you are, what you've already done in the past, so that he can have faith for what you're going to do in the future. I'm sure there are many people here like that today. So help us, Holy Spirit, to verbalize. Maybe, maybe one person's story will unlock another person's faith. Maybe one person's testimony will fire another person's praise. Do that, Lord, we ask now in Jesus' name.